It's Wednesday, June 8th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool, Rule Breakers, and Supernova, Aaron Bush and David Kretzman. Happy Wednesday, gents. Howdy. Happy Wednesday. Um, holy cow, we've got we've got some news. We've got we, this is this is like a buffet because we've got news. We've we've got earnings news. We've got CEO driven news. And then we've got this T-Mobile story that I still can't completely wrap my head around. But its own category. It is its own category, as is John Laguerre, as we've talked about on this podcast before. CEO John Laguerre at T-Mobile. We'll get to that. Let's start with the earnings news from Dave & Buster's. First quarter profits came in much higher than expected. Was anything bad in this quarter? The revenue was up, David. They raised guidance. They have a stock buyback plan. This looks like nothing but sunshine and rainbows. They're they're doing really well, and I think Wall Street is probably particularly pleased, just given how many restaurants are struggling right now. So for Dave and Buster's to put up such uh, strong numbers, um, maintain and even raise guidance for the rest of the year, compared to what a lot of other restaurants are doing, even you know top tier operators like Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, you know Dave and Buster's, they're they're. Firing on all cylinders, as our friend Ron Gross would say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the one thing that would concern me, and the stock is is up about eight percent this morning. It's hitting a new high. I'm wondering what you think of the valuation of the stock because the one thing that would concern me about for all of the good that they're doing on the operational front, mm-hmm. this is very much a discretionary income kind of business. So. Unemployment is relatively low. Things are generally good in the U.S. economy, and so this this is the type of business that would do well when the economy is doing well. But if thing this, I feel like if things turn, this is the first place that people who are spending their discretionary income just go. Ah, no, I I got to cut back on Dave and Buster's. Yeah, that that's definitely the big uh, question, and probably one of the bigger risks longer term with with the company. Uh, they they make more than half their their sales through the arcade games in, in the restaurants. So people will go into the restaurants, they'll buy food, which makes up about thirty percent of revenue. Buy a drink that makes up about fifteen percent of revenue, which is above. Uh, the average for restaurants, so so they really are trying to get people in there and playing these games, which are higher margin and are driving a lot of the the, the results that that we're seeing. Management thinks they can open more than 200 of these stores in North America. They have uh, still under 90 stores today. They have 84 at the close of this quarter. Um, that's so, it. That that's it. So that's Shake Shack level. So so they could <laughs> they could more than double their their store count. Uh, and and something I do like. Uh, about Dave and Buster's is that they are expanding through their own free cash flow. They're they're not dependent on outside debt or issuing equity to expand. That um, they're generating strong and increasing amounts of operating cash flow. Uh, they can use uh, uh, the the free cash flow to to open new stores. So right now they're expanding in a sustainable way. Uh, but but again, the question is how will the company survive through you know an, uh, another recession, which will inevitably come at some point. Can the company, you know, uh, stick around through a recession uh, and and survive, you know, through an ordeal like that? I think the answer is yes, because this is a company that has been around since the '80s. But certainly, that they would be hit hard uh, come recession, and the stock certainly isn't cheap, as you pointed out. So, investors need to, um, you know, they they need to be prepared for volatility. But looking out five to ten years, if they can, you know, take steps to double that store base and beyond, uh, you know, I, I think think it could be a winner. It was just three years ago this month that Amazon launched its subsidiary in India, 
Last night, CEO Jeff Bezos announced the company is investing another $3 billion in its subsidiary. Uh, Aaron, they had this is on top of the $2 billion they had originally invested. Mm-hmm. And they've got competition in India. They've, A little bit. Yeah. Uh, Snapdeal, Flipkart. There, there, there is uh, legitimate competition for Amazon. And yet, I'm inclined to think that Jeff Bezos knows exactly what he's doing, uh, even though they don't necessarily have $3 billion just sitting around in their sofas. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like what they're doing here. I like it for two main reasons. The first being that international for Amazon is about half the size of their domestic business. Um, but despite that, it's actually growing much more slowly than the domestic business. Their international business is only up 6% in 2015, which I don't think that many people realize. And so, by them kind of pinpointing a new market and say, hey, we're going to go to this one, and not only are we just going to do it, we're going to double down and, and get serious about it. And it's kind of hard to know like how how serious they're getting investing in India. I mean, they could put down $10 billion if they wanted to or more. But I, I do think it's a good move just for, for branching out for a new market to tackle. And then I think India is a really smart choice. And I would make that my second point. Not only is India a massive, populous country, but the country is in its very, very early days of widespread internet use and e-commerce. India is only at 35% internet penetration, and that number is rising very quickly. Um, the the money spent on e-commerce purchases has nearly tripled just over the past year to only $16 billion. And India is just getting started with that. And so, I, I'm really excited to see Amazon pushing into such a massive market when it's so early. And it kind of reminds me of Mercado Libre a little bit, which is kind of the Amazon, eBay of Latin America, just without the political risk and the currency headaches. No, I, I, I think of this along the same lines. With, with India, you have a, about a 35% internet penetration rate. And that's lower than what you see in Latin America, which has about a 56% internet mm-hmm. penetration rate. We have about 88% internet penetration, for comparison's sake, in the U.S. So. You know, looking out five, ten plus years, and we all know that that's the time horizon that Jeff Bezos employs with Amazon. You would assume that more people in India will get access to the internet, and more people will buy more stuff online once they have that internet access. So, pretty clear, transparent, obvious trends. And I think uh, you know there's still a lot of opportunity in India. So I, I think this investment really makes sense considering uh, you know the long-term time horizon that Bezos employs. Yeah, they don't have the first mover advantage here, as you mentioned with Flipkart and Snapdeal, but I'm not entirely sure that matters, just because it's so nascent and there's so much room to build up infrastructure around all of this. Um, And so Flipkart is the number one, but they only have a $15 billion valuation, which is which is a stretch, just kind of given private market valuations right now. And Snapdeal is about one third of the size of Flipkart. So altogether, it's really only about a $20 billion. Like market, just like with the two leaders put together, um, and I like Amazon getting into this because they can fund their expansion just through their own cash flow. Flipkart, Snapdeal, they have to go basically beg for money from venture capitalists, and they're burning so much money right now. And when and when the funding dries up a little bit, they've had to, and it has, they've had to resort to 
laying off work or workers and having less deals out there. And so Amazon's not going to have those problems. And it's it can just build distribution centers and data warehouses and all that kind of stuff without the same worries that others have. And it could mean that they could pass them up sometime because of it. And, and going back to the the market opportunity in India, on, on the most recent conference call for Apple, uh, Tim Cook mentioned that he he sees India today in a similar position that China was maybe five, seven, ten years ago. So that also speaks to the long term opportunity that uh, India presents. There was a conference out in California last week that that Recode put on, and Walt Mossberg did a sit down interview in front of a live audience with Jeff Bezos. And it ended up going about an hour and twenty minutes, and I watched almost all of it. It was it was uh, it was streaming on on Facebook Live, so I just sort of geeked out and 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 watched it uh, as it was happening. And Mossberg, so such a phenomenal interviewer, it was it was really a, a master performance. But one of the questions Bezos got from the audience was about their expansion into China and India, and he was very quick to give credit to. Their team in India, and he talked about how you know one of the things that they've learned, and this is you know, and he sort of gave a nod towards. You would think this would be obvious, but you know we learned it anyway. It's that China and India are very different markets, mm-hmm. and one of the things that we've done is we've done much more local market customization in India than we've done in China. And again, giving tons of credit to his team there. So, it, as a shareholder of Amazon, it you know one of my takeaways from that was, okay, so I really shouldn't ex- I should I should expect a little bit more out of what they're doing in India than China, despite you know mm-hmm. China obviously being a larger market. No, I, I think it's uh, in, 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 it's an interesting point because uh, you know the the Amazon user face that customers have in India will be different than what we experience in the U.S. Uh, in, in India and a lot of emerging markets, the bulk of people don't use desktops. You know, they they, they don't use PCs. They're they're buying stuff and they're accessing the internet through their smartphones. So, uh, it, it's. Uh, it, it's crucial for for Amazon and other e-commerce players to adapt to to the local markets and match you know the preferences and habits of of those local customers. You know what? A couple of our dozens of listeners are in India, so I would love it. Uh, I'm just gonna and I rarely do this, but if anyone in India could just drop us an email to marketfoolery at fool dot com and share your own e-commerce experience, whether it's with Flipkart, Snapdeal, Amazon, India, what, whatever it is. But uh, that, that would just be great to get a little, as we say, a little boots-on-the-ground research there. Sure. John Laguerre, the CEO of T-Mobile, is at it again. He unveiled a new program called Stock Up, which enables T-Mobile customers to become shareholders David, you were interviewed by the Washington Post about this. Um, walk me through how this works. Yeah, really. My my understanding of this, I'm I'm a T-Mobile customer, so I'm trying to find ways to get my my share of stock. But really, this is targeting postpaid voice uh, smartphone users. So if you have a, a, a voice plan through T-Mobile, you have a smartphone, uh, they're giving you a share of stock this month. Uh, and then they're they're also uh, recruiting, give, giving share, uh, uh, giving a share of stock to new new customers of T-Mobile this month as well. And then they're they're upping the ante here. Uh, they're giving uh, T-Mobile customers the chance to earn up to a hundred shares of stock a year, and that that's over four, that's worth over four thousand uh, dollars in shares based on the current share price, um, just by referring uh, friends and family and other people to T-Mobile. 
And so assuming you refer someone, they join T-Mobile, uh, you can keep accumulating shares. So really, the, the way I, I, I take a high-level look at this, they're really creating a brand ambassadors program. They want Obviously, they want higher customer retention. They want people to stay with T-Mobile, you know, for for many years or for life, and they want people, their existing customers, to be brand ambassadors and recruit other people around them. So, you know, it'll be interesting. There's never really been anything done quite like this before. So, keeping, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Yeah, I think it's it's noble of it's a noble pursuit, and it is foolish what they're what they're doing. I do have my reservations, though. Um, I'll admit, I think um, it probably won't end up a very huge deal for them, just because I don't know if people find particular joy in who their mobile carrier is, generally. <laughs> um, and the logistics that go into that, having a brokerage account, dealing with the taxes, um, most people are kind of financially ignorant when it comes to all of that stuff, that I think that there will It'll be tough for a lot of people to come around to that, to where it really matters. Well, that's the thing. I can see, I can see this working out to some degree. I'm just not sure to what degree. I could see someone like Kretzman saying, "Hey, this is great. I've got an account. I'm a customer. Mm-hmm. Great. Go ahead and put that share in my account." I can also see lots of other people who are customers who don't have an account, and then it's the work of wait a minute. Okay, so now I have to go get a brokerage account. I want to probably do some research about who I want to do that with. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, probably a lot of them, to the extent that they're going through this process, will say something along the lines of, yeah, can't you just give me the $40? Can't you just, re- <laughs> you know, if you're, just, if you're giving me a share of stock that today is worth just north of $40, can't, can't you just give me a $40 rebate on my bill? I, I hope the program is successful because obviously at the full, uh, you know, something that David Gardner mentions is he thinks everyone should own at least one stock. So for for a lot of T-Mobile's customers, I think, you know, there there are about 30 million customers who would be eligible to get a share under this program. I don't think they'll uh, end up giving near that many shares. Um, you know, so this program could be a nice, you know, step in the right direction to get people invested. But I, I do kind of have my reservations. Just Based on my own experience trying to get my share, it isn't a very intuitive process. I'm not really like they tell you you have to download the T-Mobile Tuesdays app, which is another app that they released in conjunction with the the with the stock up announcement. I downloaded that app, and it doesn't even mention anything about the stock. So then I have to you know talk to their customer service. I don't think many people are going to jump through that loophole when a lot of people don't e- <laughs> might not even know what a stock is or how to open a brokerage account. So. I, I don't know if this will be a mass success, but I think you know it, it's it's a it's an innovative innovative step. But yeah, I, I don't know if it'll really have any huge. Can I just success. say that this what you just said does not bode well at all for T-Mobile with this plan? So because, far, because yeah. And it, forgive me for pointing out the obvious. This is your job. You're you're <laughs> someone who is a stock analyst. You're a T-Mobile customer. So if you are struggling with this. Doesn't bode well. That doesn't bode well at all. Yeah, I'll put a slight twist on things. I don't. I don't think this is going to work very well for T-Mobile, and I don't know if many larger businesses will follow suit. But I do think we will see a trend towards smaller companies doing something like this. Not necessarily them just handing out shares to their customers, but more when they need to raise money, they will go to their customers. Um, with Regulation A of the Jobs Act, it, it finally went through. 
um, this past year. Elio Motors was the first one to raise money from its customers for its own version of the IPO. Um, I think I think stuff like that is going to become the way to go, and I think brand is becoming a bigger part of identity, especially with online services and social media being a reflection of of who you are. That that more companies are going to start taking this seriously, and their very best customers, who are generally more cutting edge and more willing to to stay on board for the for the long term. That it could work in those cases where they really can take pride in helping a company succeed, but with with this T-Mobile, it's it seems more like a, a difficult cash grab than anything. Yeah, I mean, obviously we we, we can give them credit because this has been a great PR move. You know, oh yeah, a lot, a lot of people are, are, are covering. True. I think in that sense, it's a success. But long term, I have a hard time with how the program is structured now. Uh, you know, it's just not set up in a very user friendly way. Like it's not easy for someone to. You, know, you have to set up an account with a certain brokerage, Loyal Three. There are all these different hoops you have to jump through to get that share, and I don't think many people will will do that. But I agree with Aaron that we're definitely seeing a trend where, uh, especially smaller companies, they want they want their customers to be part owners of the company. They want these loyal customers to you know have that sense of ownership, and they they want customers who want that company to succeed over the long term. So you're seeing with with some IPOs, uh, companies will reserve a small portion of the IPO for their customers and, and invite their customers to participate in the IPO, which typically is reserved for you know the Wall Street banks. Um, so I think you will see that that trend. And T-Mobile here, it, it's a noble effort, but probably won't be a long-lasting success with how it's currently structured. No, and I, you raise a good point because I think that it it is in keeping with a lot of what John Laguerre has done. In the public eye, in terms of being very customer centric, mm-hmm. you know. So if if someone is going to come forth with this type of effort, it makes sense that it is someone like Laguerre. It is a company like T-Mobile, as opposed to say, you know, Procter and Gamble, or you know, or just some other some other kind. Like it, 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 I, I get why he's doing it, mm-hmm. um, but I'm I'm intrigued by what you laid out, Aaron. Just the idea that okay, maybe this doesn't work. But maybe this is just version 1.0, and it gets other companies thinking about okay, if we were going to try and execute something like this, how would we make it? Mm-hmm. How would we smooth out the speed bumps? How would we make this more seamless and make it even easier? Because ultimately, if you are looking to lock in not just customers, but convert those customers into long term part owners of the business. Then looking at what Laguerre is doing and thinking to yourself, how can we improve on this? I think that's a, a smart move. Mm-hmm. I hope it's a catalyst. I think with the democratization of all the tech that goes into this, could be the dawn of a new era a little bit. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.